This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We're here to recap a disappointing Titans loss to the Texans, and we've got a great show for you as we do that. Want to follow the show on social media? You can do that at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. You can also subscribe or follow the show on whatever platform you're using to listen. That way you get easier and faster access to all of our new episodes. And in addition to all of that, we would love it if you would leave us a rating and review if you're listening on iTunes. Okay, guys, uh, tough loss for the Titans. We'll get into how they can still navigate into the playoffs uh, in just a little bit. But as for the game itself... I, I tend to say, because there have been a lot of people who've, who've asked me kind of, you know, what do you think about the game? And what, I, what I've always kind of led with is it's not like they didn't show up because we've seen that from the Titans before where they just kind of sleepwalk for, you know, three hours. That's not what happened. It was they, – they showed up. It was just there were too many mistakes at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got deja vu in, in that intro. You, you saying we're here to recap – a disappointing loss to the Texans. I mean, what what else yeah. is new? We're, we're we're so we're so used to that same same exact storyline and and having to having to recap it and having to talk about it. But this one this one did feel a little a little different. I don't. It just the Titans really didn't play all that poorly. But like you said, uh, just too many mistakes. One or two plays that could have completely changed the game. Uh, they go against you. So. Coming out of it, like I, I, I was, I, I was disappointed, and, and it, it, you know, it was, it was annoying that that we still like can't get over that that boogeyman, which has become the Houston Texans. Um, but you know, they they didn't play all that bad. This was a game that they just lost because a couple of bounces didn't go their way, and because the field goal unit has been all time historically bad. Yeah, it, it's. It's hard because, you know, we want to say it's the same old Titans, this and that and that. And to a degree it is, but it's kind of inverted just because you did see a lot of really good things from the offense. And there were times where the defense made plays. It's not like we've seen in the past where they just get completely outclassed by somebody that, you know, it's a big game and you drop, you know, just an egg and you end up with like a 21 point loss. Like it, it wasn't one of those kinds of games yeah. like we've had in the past. But at the same time, it's like, when you're walking away from the stadium or when you're, you know, turning off your TV or whatever, you're just left with that same kind of feeling like this was going to be the time where it didn't take until week 17 to really figure out if we were going to the playoffs or whether any of this season mattered. It was your chance to really say like, okay, we're going to take control of the division and then take it completely out of the Texans hands. And, you know, they, they just didn't. So it's not the same old Titans, but it does feel very familiar. And, and it did also feel like 
as I said, you know, they, they made a lot of mistakes, and it felt like the mistakes that they made came at, like, always the worst possible moments. Like, they're about to go in and score and go up 7 to nothing, and then Ferkser drops the pass, and, and it goes up and Merciless returns it for 86 yards. And then, you know, they storm back and tie the game. Houston goes down, scores to go up 21-14, and then they have a bad three and out. It's like the, the mistakes always came at, like, the worst possible times. And, and that's not – and I'm not saying, well, so that, you know, they played well enough to win. It's just they got unlucky. No, I'm saying, like, they dropped the ball in the most important moments of the game. It's their fault. Right, yeah. I, I mean, you could use the old football cliche, shooting yourselves in the foot. But yeah. I, that that's exactly what the Titans did. And it's what they've done for, for, for a couple of years, really, that's kind of capped them from, from taking that next step into a 10, 11 – 12 win team they just always seem to be one step short and yeah I, I mean the interception on the goal line that was just that that that, that felt like a, a complete game changer at the time it ended up pre- pretty much being because that's a that's a 14 point swing right if there the, if, if the titans score a touchdown there they 100 percent win that game because i, I remember i almost, I said, I, I almost said i turned to the person left me but there was no one sitting by me but i i just remember thinking in that moment because Hugh Senior was going down to score, Vaccaro picked off Watson, uh, then the punts exchanged, and then the Titans are going down to score. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, this is where the snowball starts. It happens in every game. The slow start, mm-hmm. they score a touchdown, then it snowballs, and before you know it, Tannehill has four touchdowns, and Henry has 120 yards. If they had scored, I firmly believe that that's where the snowball would have started. And instead, the snowball started the other direction. No, I I think you're right because the te- Texans' offense up until that point hadn't looked all that great, but then you get that long interception return, two plays, touchdown, and at 12 yards, you know, it's just it's just a complete demoralizer. And if we would have gotten that touchdown in, uh, and also also if we would have actually been able to kick a field goal on our first drive after the interception, oh, we'll, we'll get to the field know, goal. That, we'll get to the field goal. You no, know, yeah, I know, worry about that. but it would have been a 10 point lead. That would have been a 10-0 yeah. lead at home against an offense that really hasn't I don't I, they haven't really been playing all that well the last couple of weeks. I, I don't know, it just Yeah, but it's it's, I mean, it's still game. Watson and Fuller and Hopkins. Right. Well, it's it's Watson and Hopkins. Like Fuller was not as much of a factor and hasn't been for uh, since he's come back from his hamstring injury. But uh, the thing is is when you have plays like that, there's a reason why it felt like it was almost a tie game when it was 14 to zero. Like it just, because the Titans had 200 yards of offense, which first of all is something that would take the Titans an entire game. The first week, first four weeks of the season. So like, it felt like they were moving the ball and it was almost like they would do everything they needed to. And then there would be one weak link in the chain and it would like something would screw up and it would just, be at the worst moment, which we've talked about, is yeah. just like the most unlucky situation. And, I mean, there, there's several ways the Titans could have won this game if things were a little bit different, which is why, you know, the Titans lost, but it doesn't feel like, okay, the season's over, there's no hope. Like, the, there's still plenty of reasons to think that they can pull out of this. It's not a tailspin or anything. But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad call. It was just... They clearly wanted it more than the Titans did, and they did the little things well. And, you know, that's that's what it comes down to. It comes down to Ferkser not squeezing a ball in the end zone that becomes a touchdown instead of an interception. It's 
you know, doing your job on blocking assignments and getting to the second level and blocking Cunningham. It's it's a bunch of little things that the Titans didn't do that cost them the game. Uh, maybe the one positive, because there there's kind of a lot of negative things I have to talk about today, and I feel like we shouldn't, you know, it's not all bad. I mean, the Titans have had a, a successful stretch here, and they certainly still have a chance to finish it successfully. Um, so, so one positive I do want to talk about is uh, is AJ Brown because he played really, really well on uh, on Sunday. And you know, I told you guys the moment that he caught uh, that pass in the second half against Cleveland, very first game of the season. Because you guys remember, he had the deep ball for Mariota in the first half, and then the mm-hmm. second half he took a crosser for a big game. And I just remember mm-hmm. I texted you guys and I was like, guys, AJ Brown is it. I don't need to see any more. I've got it. <laughs> because for years, the Titans and receivers, it's, oh, well, he's not getting targeted enough. Oh, well, he's not a scheme fit. Oh, once he just understands the offense, it's a, with A.J. Brown, none of that has mattered. If he gets targeted three times, he's going to do something with those three targets. If he doesn't understand the offense, he's going to go out there and do what he does understand how to do. A.J. Brown, for the first time, in a long time, maybe since Derek Mason was not on 102.5 the game and was in a Titans uniform, have the Titans had a receiver where fans weren't tempted to make 10,000 excuses for them? He's just good, and that's all that matters. Right. Uh, all you really have to do is get him the ball, in, and he's going to make a play for you. Uh, and what's scary is that he still has a lot of room to grow. Uh, I know we've talked about his... Um, like his ability at the catch point, it seems like sometimes in contested catch situations, he doesn't come up with it, uh, which is surprising because he's such a big guy, such a huge, strong guy. You'd think he'd be better in those situations, but imagine if he improves even a little bit in that area, he's going to be completely unstoppable, which he pretty much has been over these last couple of weeks. And the entire offense is, has been able to run through him and run through Henry. And it's just such a breath of fresh air. Uh, especially, like you said, to not have to make an excuse for him. Uh, because, I mean, how many excuses did we make for Taewon Taylor over the first couple of seasons? Uh, just, you know, saying he's not, we're not, they're not using him correctly. Uh, it turns out no one can use him correctly because he would, just wasn't good. Uh, exactly. And- Thank you. That is a perfect <laughs> yeah. example. I'm so tired of yeah. hearing, well, so-and-so is not used right. It shouldn't matter. unless you're like Odell Beckham and one of the best receivers in the league and you're getting targeted like three times. Okay, yeah, that's a problem. Like Corey Davis. Oh, man, here we go. (laughs) Corey Davis. I had Corey Davis written in as a if-we-have-time topic. Yeah, which which is sort of how... Let's go. Well, I was going to say Corey that's Davis. sort of how Arthur Smith uh, looks at Corey Davis, too, is an if-we-have-time target. But, you know, like... <laughs> but there's a reason! It's, it's Yeah, and, and we've talked about this before, too, Like, and we talked about it before the podcast, is, you know, for a long time, I've talked about how Corey Davis, like, like you said earlier, like, he's not used correctly, he hadn't gotten enough targets, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I still believe that he is a good receiver, but if... AJ Brown is a wide receiver one, then that's like, then they're not in the same class. Like they're just different calibers of player at at the very least right now in their career. Here's the thing about Corey Davis. 
I remember before he was drafted reading a scouting report on him. And the the player comparison in the scouting report was Jordan Matthews. And I just remember thinking, you. And so now we're here (laughs) four years, uh, three years into Corey Davis' career. Isn't that who he's kind of been? No, he's um, way be- he's way better than Jordan Matthews. Like he had what like almost 900 yards last year on an offense that threw it less than anybody in the NFL. Like he's literally he the only good, guy like, on that team capable of catching the ball though. That was by those were 900 yards like by default. Times. Now that they have Humphreys, a better Johnu and AJ Brown, he's getting two targets a game and he always drops at least one of them. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. I think he's on pace for 600 yards this season. And... Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> w- w- I, don't want you, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, uh, there's this, there's I just want you to say he's not very like... good. That's what I want you to say. You think, I'm not going to say that. Who do you think he true. is right now? Like, what, what, what player would you comp him to? Because I'm struggling to even come up with, with a, a current I mean, Remember, I said Emmanuel Sanders a few weeks back. I'm totally off of that now. That that's not. Oh, are we talking about AJ Brown? No, no Corey. Corey. Oh, not in terms yeah, of who, like no, like in terms like, of production and value to a team, not in terms of like style. Oh, oh, okay. I meant style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I don't know what his style is. He doesn't have any. I remember I always thought his ceiling would be Des Bryant, which clearly he's not that. So did I. So did I. We've come a long way. <laughs> yeah, like. It's weird because, like, in the first few games of his rookie season, like, he was kind of that guy. Like, he was going over people's heads and doing all that. And they just, you know, then he'll have a game like he did against Philadelphia. Like, I mean, it, that was a while ago. But, I mean, he had a similar game against Atlanta and all that kind of stuff. But it's hard to say because I can't really, like, he's not Marvin Jones. He's not, I'm, I'm he's, it's weird because, like, you have, like, you have to contextualize it because he has to be the wide receiver two in that offense. Dude, so he's like drafted. he's like Robert Woods in Buffalo right now. That's what he is. I have very efficient. Does he not play with the Rams? No, he played in Buffalo when he oh, when he, we, played, he in played in Buffalo. He was like very efficient, but they never really threw him the ball. But he would always have like big games because he was really good and he was really talented. But actually, no, I don't know. I don't know if Corey Davis See, is all like, that good. Yeah, <laughs> like I think. In, so like, I don't we, know. We, well, we may end up like cutting all this out, but it it feels like he's a guy who, if you told me for the rest of his career, he averaged 600 yards when he was the wide receiver two, and then he averaged 800 yards if he was the wide receiver one. I mean, I would say that's that's probably right. Like, I don't ever think he's going to be a guy that completely dominates and dictates coverage and anything like that. But at the same time, if you told me that next year he was going to go to New Orleans, like. There's, I would have no problem putting a seven, eight hundred, nine hundred yard season on him. Like, I just think like in a high volume offense that spreads everything out and puts him opposite somebody great. Like, I think he could be that kind of guy, and I think he could be that guy in Tennessee with AJ Brown. But I mean, this is going to be Sammy Watkins all over again. His career, I think. Oh, gross! He's never going to live up to his expectations. Somehow, he's going to get a big contract from a team thinking they're going to take him to the next step. Matias, and then he just face plants. That's it. That's the comparison. That's exactly what's gonna happen. Yeah, like that that does that does feel like a good like 
stylistic comp. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think he'll be like quite as bad as the Sammy Watkins we've seen the last like six weeks who just like can't catch anything. But like a guy who like will go completely silent for like three or four games and then have a game like he did against Jacksonville, not Corey Davis, like Sammy Watkins did where he has like three touchdowns on like 160 yards. Like, I mean, I could, I could see him having those kinds of games almost out of nowhere. Um, let's talk quickly as we wrap up recapping this game. The fake punt. Um, it had been a few weeks since we got to talk about a dumb Vrabel decision. With the hottest quarterback in the NFL and a receiver that was also on fire, Mike Vrabel on third down and 10 from his opponent's 37-yard line instead of A, attempting a 54-yard field goal, or B, just putting the offense out there to get 10 yards, elected to have Brett Kern throw a deep ball to safety day and Kroot Shank in hopes of not completing the pass, no, in hopes of getting a pass interference penalty. To that I say, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were joking when you told me that uh, because I, I didn't hear Vrabel say that or I didn't see that he said that. That is, that is. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've never heard of a, a coach uh, employing that strategy. But I think the best part of the fake punt, at least in my opinion, was Kern pump faking to the left. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> As if that was going to fool anyone. And I don't know, man. I, I kind of noticed on tape they kind of over-pursued when that happened. God. Yeah, whoever was on the right, actually, I, oh, I think it was a money hooker. He, he actually he ran like a little slant route, and it actually could have gotten over the top of uh, cor- the quarterback and the safety. Yeah, but, but he, uh, you, couldn't have gotten pass inter- you couldn't have gotten a pass interference against Hooker because he was the outside man on the line. Yeah, so it was really like a one-man route, which, like, honestly, like, the throw wasn't bad. Like, I mean, Kern's throw was pretty – it was a little bit underthrown, but, like, for a punter, like, I mean, that, like, that was in the field of play, but the call was stupid. Like – Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Johnny – do you remember when Johnny Hecker did that same thing two years ago at Nissan Stadium? It was the first drive of the game. The Rams stalled out about at the 37 – and uh, instead of kicking or going for it, McVay sent Johnny Hecker out there to just throw a Hail Mary, essentially. And did it work or no? No, it did not. There was, there was somebody who we played who just threw, like, a beautiful pass one time. And I was Pat like, golly. Uh, I'm probably. Pat McAfee's super cool. Like, I'm sure he did. I remember he would, like, always seemingly get onside kicks or, what, like, whatever he wanted against us. So, uh, like... Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all, but I, I, I don't know. Like, th- there's no. The only reason you make that call is one because you're trying to overthink it and you're trying to be like the smart coach and make the smart play when really you should probably just leave your offense out there like we talked about. And you also have to be terrified of letting your kicker kick. Let's talk about the kicker situation. Not good, guys. Titans are on pace to be the worst kicking team since the mid-80s. There's a team worse? That's shocking. Um, <laughs> suck, up is, suck up is one for six. One of those was a pretty brutal and also incredibly predictable block uh, from, I think, He's one for six? Yeah. This whole season? Yeah. Oh, nice. He was he was blocked from I think forty or forty five. 
which was a super low kick right into former Titan Angelo Blackson's outstretched arm. Ryan, Ryan Santoso was cut today. He's being replaced by Greg Joseph, who Matias wrote a term paper on a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> who Matias apparently was his neighbor at some point. <laughs> we, uh, we, so we're, we're sitting here before the show, and I'm like, hey, the uh, Florio is reporting the Titans just signed Greg Joseph. And Matias is like, oh, that guy that spent three years on the Browns before going to the Panthers practice squad? I'm like, yeah. No. That, that... no, I just knew that he had played for the Browns because I had heard his name before. Yeah. I mean, it like you said it so quick. Like you, you also didn't, didn't know, know, and Luke told us, <laughs> and like you you said it as if you had scouted him coming out of college, and he was like a sleeper that you were in love with. Like <laughs> sleeper. I know, I know, I know you, like that's not your real reaction to it, but you said it as if you were going to list off like his height, weight, and speed, like in the same sentence and i was like and you, then you said like maybe i'm thinking of a different person and i told you you said it with such confidence that there was no doubt in my mind that i didn't even need to look it up but i think you looked it up and found out that you were right so um but long story all, short the titan, the long, story, long story short the titans are terrible at kicking field goals yeah one or eighth kicker or whatever it is yeah well spoiler spoiler alert uh, Greg Joseph is is not the answer to our kicking woes. That guy is absolutely awful. Uh, so is every other kicker that's available at this point. They'd, they'd have a starting job if they weren't terrible. I, I wonder what the record is for most players to kick off for a single team in a season because the Titans are at five right now with Cairo Santos, Cody Parkey, Ryan Suckup, Ryan Santoso, and now Greg Joseph, supposedly. Can, can you explain to me why we cut Cody Parkey? Because he's double doink. Yeah, because he, he like missed goal. an extra. He missed he, one extra point. Yeah, because well, we had suck up. Like, why would we keep Parkey? Yeah, but suck up had said that he wasn't ready. Yeah, that was two like, months ago, though. Oh come on! Did Is he ooze, did he portray or not portray? Did he like ooze any confidence in his in his interviews that like he was ready to go? No, he did not. He like no. he in like it's it's super sad. Like that's not the only issue we have on the kicking team. Like I talked earlier before the podcast, like this the long snaps from Brinkley are so slow. Like it, I attributed it uh, in the Oakland game to the wet field because I was like, oh, that's weird. Like maybe it's like a wet field thing. But like for the second week in a row, it was just like. It took a full extra second to get back there, and Suckup looks like he's in no hurry to kick the ball anyway. So it's just like a nightmare waiting to happen. And even some of those extra points almost got blocked. So, I mean, it, it feels like you're like we're piling on, but you've got to talk about it when it's historically bad. If the Titans' offense was doing something that hadn't been done in the NFL since the early 80s, we would be talking about it every week. So, like, when the kickers are doing something so bad – that it spans like four decades before you can find a comparison. Like it, it needs to be talked about. Like I, I know Suckup had, you know, on, on the arrowhead and arrowhead or, or whatever that call is where he hit the long field goal. And, you know, that that's great, you know, and he, and we all really appreciate that. And that was a great time, but just like with Vinatieri in Indianapolis, it's like it, at a certain point, you've just got to look at something and say, like, we can't keep doing this. And the Titans have to say that at this point because he doesn't have any kick, any confidence in his kicking. 
the Titans shouldn't have any confidence in his kicking. And once that goes out the window, you start making stupid decisions like calling fake punts, and then you let a a non-confident kicker kick and miss, which just hurts everybody. So it's it's just going to be a brutal cycle for the rest of the season, it looks like. Would you kick another field goal for the rest of the season? I wouldn't. If it was inside Uh, of 30, yes. 30. Outside of 30, 30. no. Yeah, and and even then, like – I would have to be in longer than fourth and four. Yeah, right? I mean, it, was, it, it, would de- it would depend on down and distance. Like, if you're at fourth and 15 and it would be like a 47-yarder, sure, you know, what the heck. But Oh, you would? I wouldn't. I'd just punt. Dude, I don't. not with this defense. <laughs> you don't think they would cover 99 yards? You'd punt from I'd the 30-yard line? putting on one, man. You'd punt from the 30? One – from the thirty, no, I would go for it. That's the yeah, no, I'd, I'd kick a forty-seven yarder on fourth and. 15. No, but I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't kick it because I, I'm like ninety percent sure it's going to get blocked. Like, it, or like, I mean, yeah. I would. I would rather. I would rather throw like a slant and hope that AJ Brown breaks a tackle rather than like miss a kick or get it blocked you and know then what I would them do? those free you know seven yards. Do? I would throw to Corey Davis. That would work. Third and thirteen. He converted it this week. If I needed to pick up yards after the catch, I would just give it to Johnny Smith because that guy cannot be tackled. Had a great game this week. I mean, yeah, like he he apparently like he goes through these stretches like through the first um, from when Tannehill started to the bye week. He was the leading receiver on the Titans roster. Like he was Tannehill's AJ Brown. Like he was finding him all the time. He was getting yards after the catch. He was. Doing great. He was leading the team in receptions and yardage. And then after the bye, the bye week, they just remembered they had this stud wide receiver and started passing it to AJ Brown. And you know the rest is kind of history. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know why he disappeared. Maybe that's just what happens when you have a good quarterback. Is sometimes it's time to feed certain guys, and sometimes other guys get fed. But right. if they can ever figure out a way to get you know Derrick Henry healthy, AJ Brown like getting going like six catches or more and then get Johnu a few catches like yeah i mean those are three of the come. hardest guys to tackle in the league man yeah like f- for whatever reason i don't know what the answer and why it's hard to tackle Johnu is but it certainly looks like i mean you'll see people hit him square and they just kind of like roll off of him <laughs> so people just bounce just bounce off of it they yeah, really lined like, a dude so- up at running back and handed him the ball yeah, I know. There was no trick about that. that. It was just a standard yeah, was, like sweet play. Yeah, it was like, and that's the thing is, like, I, I rewatched it and I'm like, oh, maybe they think it's a pass, but like the linebackers are playing it, like they're playing run, like I mean, they're coming downhill and he's just running through tackles, and then he gets to the second level, and it, there's a point where he beats everybody, and then he just seems to run out of steam and gets caught from behind. But there's a point where it looks like you know if he had a little bit more speed, he's gone. But you know, then it doesn't happen. It's there not was quite a as pass cool. play, uh, like near the end of the game. Uh, they threw to him over the middle of the field, and like two two guys tackled him. And uh, McKinney like gets injured trying to tackle him, yeah. and Johnny just bounces right back up. Like, oh well, all right. Yeah, and then the next play, uh, I don't know if they throw it to him again, but a, a linebacker gets injured on that play too. Oh yeah, I didn't like know. so it may have happened two times in a row. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like. I, I don't know. Like, I, w- I will say this, and this is not necessarily a shot at Arthur Smith, but the tight ends on this team look much better than they did last year. Now that he's not coaching them, like 
they look like John New Smith looks better. Like he's catching the ball better. He's running after the catch better. Michael Pruitt is like a slightly better blocker than he was. And when he does catch the ball, he does seem to have some like run after the catch ability. And Ferkser, aside from like that god awful like hit, like which really isn't his fault. He got hit from behind and the ball just popped out. But like aside from that play, like. He's been pretty good for the Titans all year. He caught a touchdown pass against Oakland. They got called back for a BS holding call uh, by Nate Davis, and then Tannehill just threw another one. But the point is, it's like all three of those tight ends are contributing. So that's kind of an under-the-radar position where it feels like they've got really good depth, even though people keep wanting to talk about adding a tight end. Okay. We're going to take a, a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. But when we come back... I'm going to do something that it uh, that I do with great fear in me. I am going to allow Will to have a soapbox moment. Are you ready, Will? Yeah, get excited. When we get back, Will is going to get on his Dean P's soapbox. Because if you have if you don't follow Will on Twitter at jloma72, uh, you have missed a litany of, I mean, like, I'm not a WWE person, but whatever term you would use to describe a wrestling move, like those oh. from yeah, Will I'm, I'm to Dean Pease. Yeah, yeah. I'm, cu- I'm cutting promos. I'm hitting DDTs. I'm, I've got my finishers laid out. Like, I, I'm I'm all about it. Like, let's, let's get through this ad break so we can talk about it. <laughs> Will's going to get on his Dean Pease soapbox in 30 seconds. All right, Will, the floor is yours. I just ask that you don't take more than about a minute and a half to get it out because we've got more topics to get to. Okay, okay, I'll try to rush through it. Okay, so here's my biggest concern with Dean Pease because I, if you've if you've listened to me at all, you know that for the last 16 games before this December and November, I've been very pro Dean Pease. He's been outstanding at what he's done. He's gotten the most out of his talent. But now we're at the point where we're seeing the same thing over and over and over. And it's passive defense on third and longs. It's not blitzing. It's playing too deep coverage with five over the middle. Like, it's the same thing, and they're getting picked apart by it. It's what happened that let the Oakland Raiders, who had scored 12 points combined in their last two games, score 21 points and a half against the Titans. It's just a fundamentally unsound defense and everybody's hiding behind the fact that the corners are injured as to why it's not more aggressive but that's not the point if you've got corners that can't cover for three more or more seconds you have to find a way to get the ball out from the quarterback in under three seconds if you can't do that with four rushers your only alternative is to blitz and it's something the titans aren't doing it's why Jayon Brown had six sacks last year, and he's only got one this year. It's why the second leading pass rusher on the team is Kamale Correa with four sacks behind Harold Landry's nine, and then right behind him is Logan Ryan with 3.5. It's it's just the same thing, hoping that guys run into your pass rushers. And then when they don't, you give up these huge plays, and it is going to kill this team's playoff chances. If the Titans don't get more aggressive, and if Dean Pease doesn't start blitzing people, they're just going to keep sitting back, and we're going to lose the next two and go 8-8, and and this whole late-season push will have done nothing but push us farther out of draft position. I have two responses. 
I have two responses. Yeah. One is a retort. One is a comment. The comment is this. I think you, you certainly have a point, and you, you made it to, to us the other day where you said it's like he's losing his fastball or he's just decided to not throw it. And he's just yeah. like, well, I'm going to work around all of this, and he's, he's kind of lost his aggressiveness. My retort is what I told you the other day and you agreed with, and I just want our, our listeners to hear it. Dean Pease is fine. He's just not very good right now. He's not bad. There's a difference between, like, like as, you know, when, when, like when people ask me about coaches, I say there's a scale from, like, John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, to, like, Ken Wisenhunt, Ben McAdoo. There's lots of place in the middle. There is a place between Bill Belichick and, I don't know, Jerry Gray or some bad defensive coordinator. <laughs> There's there's area between that, and Dean Pease is more toward the Belichick side. He's just not really in a groove right now. Yeah, I mean, it comes from a place of not having confidence in the depth at corner. Like, it's not like he doesn't know how to call defense. He knows how to call defense. He's incredibly intelligent, and some of the designs he's had over the past two years have been exceptional. I want to talk briefly about the – uh, Titans' decision, or lack thereof, uh, regarding two players that came onto waivers this week, Terrell Suggs and uh, Janoris Jenkins. So, background, Terrell Suggs, future Hall of Famer, former Defensive Player of the Year, who is now 37 years old. I mean, saying he's on the back nine of his career would be an understatement. He's, like, on the 18th hole right now. Um, uh, so that's the background to him. I think he had, like, five sacks through – 14 games with the Cardinals. And Janoris Jenkins called a fan the R-word on Twitter. And I don't like that word, and most people don't either. It's generally considered a slur these days. And uh, he refused to apologize for it. So the Giants cut ties with him. I saw mixed levels of apathy to disappointed that he wasn't signed to literal outrage that how dare the Titans not, not claim these people? Do they actually care about making the playoffs? <laughs> Apathy is the, 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 probably the wrong reaction, even though that's probably my reaction. Um, the, the outrage is stupid, too. Uh, I mean, these are two – help me out on this, guys. I mean, how, how, should, how should we feel? Like, so here's my thing. I'll, you shouldn't I'll kind of feel explain. disappointed. It's like – because my point Well, I'll what, explain. My, my point is this. If the Titans thought that either of those players could help them, they would have claimed them. Clearly, they, who understand what they have and their hmm. scheme better than anybody, didn't. No, hold on. They, they didn't claim Janoris Jenkins because, because of the, oh, yeah, his yeah. personality. Correct, Correct. yeah. You, like, you don't want to bring crazy. in a player in week 15 who's so self-involved that he's calling fans on Twitter the R-word. Like, well, it's not. Right. He also wasn't that great this year, to be completely honest. But, He's also uh, yeah, very expensive, like, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I, think, I think his contract is completely voidable after this season. But that that's neither here nor there. They, the the reason, I agree with Matias, the He's reason the they did He's the anti-John Robinson guy. Yeah, so, I mean, we could talk about Suggs. I, I personally, I, I don't think he's good anymore. I, I, he, he's yeah, not having I, a very I, good season. Will, will, I, I didn't think he was all that great last year either. Um, Will, or Will, the last I'm, couple of seasons, but Will Will thought we should claim him. So yeah, I, like Will, I'm worried that you'll strike me through lightning through through my <laughs> microphone with lightning when I say this. I would rather put Kamale Correa out there than Terrell Suggs. 
Well, that's a lot easier to say. It's it's a lot easier to say. Well, that's the alternative. Yeah, I mean, he's had a really good two weeks. So I, we should say that Correa's probably coming off his best, like little mini stretch of his Titans career, other than when he just came over. But you know, it's funny because Dean Pease had that exact same decision to make when he was the defensive coordinator in Baltimore, and that is not how he decided it. He so put like four Suggs, years ago. No, it was two years ago. It wasn't last year. It was the year before. It was in 2017. It wasn't that long ago. But the point the point still stands that like I wanted the Titans to claim the Arizona Cardinals version of Suggs because right now they're an incomplete team. Like they're running a lot of Jarrell Casey versus the tackle and outside the tackle and all that kind of stuff. Like sometimes playing true like edge defender and like they're more run heavy sets and sometimes he's just playing you know four eye which is inside the tackle like. It, the point is that, like, the position he would play is just – it's the vacuum left behind by Cameron Wake. Like, all I want is a guy who can rush the passer effectively because, like we talked about with Dean Pease, there seems to be this weird refusal to rush more than three or four people on third down right now. And if you're going to do that, I would rather have people that I know have the skills and – at least have shown some of the ability this year to get sacks and to do that job. And I mean, if you, if you want Correa after the last two weeks, okay, that's fine. But I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't see, would you rather have Kevin Pantfield on the team or Terrell Suggs? Well, okay. Well, Kevin Pantfield's on the team. I know that's crazy, but somehow actually true he has so been it's on like the active it, roster every week of the season and has not been active once are you are you you're joking me I'm no you need to follow my twitter because i talk about I that thought he was time. injured like half the season uh no he's like he's sometimes listed on the injury report like and but mostly not but it's Dude, it, there, it, there have been some really weird personnel decisions over the last couple of years. Yeah, like the like Douglas, well, let's talk about while one. we're on the personnel and the edge rush department. When the Titans neglected to take a single edge pass rusher in the 2019 NFL draft, we all three made the comment that, okay, this is showing that they're very, very confident in Cam Wake and Sharif Finch. Cam Wake is now deceased for the year. And... <laughs> As you do. (laughs) And Sharif Finch is frequently a healthy scratch, including this past week. They clearly like Derek Roberson more than him. Um, Yeah, what is that about? That position group, let's be honest, it's a problem. Like, Harold Landry's pretty good. Like, we know that. He's going to finish with 10 sacks, and he will have had a successful season. He's he's developed. He's taken a step forward since his rookie season. But everything else is, look. From a purely football standpoint, I'm, I'm sure they're all great people. Some of them that I've met are. But yeah, from the football, it's mean, gross. Hasn't met, suck. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, maybe you could get away with that position group not being all that great if you're – interior like actually did anything uh Jarrell Casey is non-existent I'm sorry I don't know he can keep going on the top five defenders lists on PFF but that guy that guy doesn't do anything I'm sorry I I don't know I don't know and and Austin Johnson doesn't exist uh Daquan Jones has been quite kind of quiet lately I don't know he hasn't really been making too many splash plays Jeffrey Simmons is 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 dope great yeah 
absolutely true. But I, I feel like at this point in his career, he's just more of a of a run defender than he is like a, a game wrecker on the interior for our, from a pass rush perspective. So Correct. I think I think that is kind of um, maybe like magnifying or, or accentuating the problems that, that are happening with the pass rush on the edges. Jeffrey Simmons is exactly what all of these stupid draft analysts try to convince themselves that prospects like Vita Vea and uh, uh, the dude from Florida, what's his name, the really bad one? Oh, Taven Bryant. Yeah, Taven Bryant and all these like big interior guys. It's like these guys. Now I know he plays a position that doesn't get that that doesn't get pass rush, but he's got the athleticism to do it. And then guess what? They never, ever, ever do it. Jeffrey Simmons yeah. is who these people have tried to convince themselves that these other bad prospects are. Yeah, Jeffrey Simmons is outstanding. Like, We've gotten way off we talked topic. about it. This started with Terrell well, Suggs, and now we're on a Jeffrey Simmons soapbox. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll steer a little bit back with this because, like, Jeffrey Simmons is great. Uh, we we've talked about. It. I made y'all watch that clip uh, before yeah. before we started the podcast where he just absolutely steamrolled a guy into Deshaun Watson's lap on the few pass plays they let him get in. So he is outstanding. Uh, Jarrell Casey, it's. It's such a weird thing because he the time between his game wrecking plays has gotten longer and longer and longer year in and year out. And for a while it was fine because he would finish and he would have a couple of two sack games and it would end up with six sacks or seven sacks or all that. But it's I mean, he's dangerously close to being very unproductive this season. And, you know, if you ask Vrabel, Vrabel will tell you he's proud of how he plays multiple positions and how he's doing the little things. Okay. Like, I mean, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see that impact, but if you say that, whatever, I guess, I guess that's, that's you grading him. But just in terms of when we start talking about guys in 2020 who were like, okay, who are the best defensive players on the Titans? The 2019 film does not show Jarrell Casey to be one of those guys. Jeffrey Simmons is one of those guys. So that's something we need to look at going forward. But back to the original, original point, you know, they drafted DeAndre Walker. They they thought he was going to be able to play. He had a sports hernia thing and uh, before the season that kept him from doing the combine and all that. He couldn't play. So now you're down, you know, one of your top four edges. Then Cameron Wake now is out, and he was providing some sort of burst and pass rush, even if he wasn't getting home. And you know that's after he missed a couple of games. So really, you're playing without your probably two of your top five edge rushers. And then I don't know what Sharif Finch did. Like, I mean, he he must just sleep through meetings and like throw food at the coaches or something because when he's on the field, I mean, when he's on the field, he's good. Like he, I think he was like the only guy like in the Is first. He really though. Or yeah, he's just, like, didn't he have? Like he's I mean, not bad. Yeah, he's not like bad. The other guys are, are bad. Like twenty snaps. Like I mean, he like yeah. But okay, like good, let me say this. Why isn't he playing? That's a great question. <laughs> hence, hence the food throwing comment. Like I don't like the film. At the very least, he's not bad. Like this is the same guy who last year had like forced fumbles and sacks versus the Dallas Cowboys, and he was playing off ball linebacker versus the Jaguars and getting tackles for loss. Like he was doing everything that Harold Landry is doing now, but he was doing it last year, and he's not as athletic as Landry, which is why he looked clunkier there at times. But I have no idea why he's not like. Like I said, like it's got to be some sort of dis. Exactly okay, why? It, why? 
because he's not very good. I knew you would say that. Like, and, and that may be true. Maybe he's not good on the practice field. He's good on tape. He's better than Correa is on tape, and he has been for the last two years. So, I mean, and and I'll say this. This coaching staff has made a lot of decisions that aren't necessarily based on who the best players are as opposed to which you know players get along best in the locker room and which ones the coaches like the most. There's a lot of touchdowns this year that came off Woodyard, who I, I like Woodyard, but there's no excuse to have him covering running backs one on one. And every time they've seen, every time defense or offenses have seen him out there, they've you know aligned him into that position and gotten him killed on it. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why the best players may not always be the ones that play for the Titans. Guys, big news: Mike Vrabel is calling into the show. He wants to talk about Finch. Hey, hey, Mike, wh- why aren't you guys playing <laughs> Finch? We know each each and every week we uh, we make decisions on uh, on every player. You know, when it comes to availability, you know, we can only have you know 46 of the 53 up, and uh, you know we just have to make decisions that that benefit our football team and. You know, it depends on the on the matchup who we want to have available, and uh, yeah. So uh, you know, there are going to be some weeks where, where some guys are out there, and then and maybe other weeks they're not. Thank you for enlightening can you, the situation. Uh, can, can you can you comment, Mike, real quick? Can you comment on if there's any potential injury to uh, Sharif Finch? Uh, I think Robbie will give you the injury report after practice on Wednesday. Is that <laughs> sorry, coach? Is that uh? I, I think I hear Dean Pease calling in. Dean, Dean, do you want to? Uh, what, what do you have to say about this? Um, no, uh, I have one foot out the door uh, into retirement, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really have to comment on anything. <laughs> Who, Who's that? that? <laughs> Who is Sharif Finch? Don't know that. <laughs> we just we just spend the rest of the podcast. We've got about. You know, ten minutes left. We just spend the rest of the time doing that. It's like, oh, uh, Corey Davis just called into the show. I'm not very good. <laughs> wow, thanks for the call, Corey. I'm just kidding. I am great. <laughs> throw, <laughs> throw me the ball. I'm very fast. <laughs> we should... My hands are questionable play, lately for Rabel some reason. And uh, and Paul Kaharski uh, after the game. And oh uh, god, those other idiots. There, yeah. There's no way. Like I, I can't. I can't roleplay Paul Kaharski or be around. I would have to take over. <laughs> See, that, th- doing a Kaharski impression is easy though, because he has that like that that uh that New Yorker like nasally thing, and he doesn't say H's. It's it's Y's instead of H's. Yeah, the whole Houston thing, which Houston huge. sure sure does crack me up every time they talk about it. Women's I'm basketball. It, it, <laughs> it like the Trump tweets. Which you know, go go check that the, out. Go check out that, Karski's I mean, Twitter. Go, going back to the Vrabel thing, you know, it's hard to do a Vrabel impression. He didn't really have any like. I mean, what he says, like like that answer I gave is exactly what he would say if tomorrow I asked him why Finch wasn't playing. But the the it's hard. Like it's not really an accent or or mannerism to to mimic. Pease. There's like an up, he has an upward inflection at the end of some of his stuff, which like is it throws me for a loop sometimes because he's like especially when he yeah. like scratches his mustache because I'm like that's it just is kind of off putting to me. But sorry, go ahead about peace. But peace peace has an peace has like a southern accent almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't in order do to do it, a Brable impression, you have to you have to grow a mustache though. Yeah, yeah, and like. Gotta scr- and you have to give like your responses bent over at the waist, like grabbing onto your knees. <laughs> the only acceptable response, or have a podium. 
Um, let's see. I'm looking at the list of my topics. I think we've just. Oh, oh by the what? way. Yeah. We we need to discuss uh, the tweet of the year from Paul Kuharski today. The Santoso signing equals failure. Oh, did, did we not talk about that like, before? <laughs> not on the pod. On the podcast. Okay, I was going to say, I was like, are you talking about like, like the I... fan that was ta- that retorted and then his reply? Because that oh, was just, awesome. Or just, or just, just the Trump, just tweet. the Santoso signing equals failure. I mean, what amazing, amazing analysis from Paul Kaharski there. But just wonderful stuff. I liked his response to the dude who like started crying in the mentions about it. Like you babies, which is like what I don't have the courage to say, but what I think a lot of times with some of these Titans fans, that's actually it's actually tease. That's part of my stop the nonsense in just a minute. We'll get to that. Is how much of a snowflake you guys are? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not our listeners. I I know, no, not our listeners, because our brand is not fit for some of these people. Yeah, yeah, these people would be in our comments or in our DMs or whatever, just super Uh, upset. Last thing I want us to hit on before we do get to stop the nonsense, though, is the Pro Bowl. The Titans had two Pro Bowl players, Derek Henry and Brett Kern. Additionally, six players were named as alternates, that being safety Kevin Byard, cornerback Logan Ryan, guard Roger Saffold, long snapper Bo Brinkley, quarterback Ryan Tannehill, and shoot, I got to the end and forgot the last one. Who did I oh, miss? I, Bo Brinkley. You just said Bo Brinkley. Drew Casey. Uh, Defensive lineman Drew Casey. Casey. Yeah. Uh, so I probably agree with that. that I think uh, if anybody had an argument that wasn't on the list to get on, it was probably either Logan Ryan or Kevin Byard. Uh, Ryan especially is having a really, really good year. Uh, hopefully the Associated Press will share him some love when it comes to uh, time to vote for All-Pro. Um, but look, I mean, here's the thing about the Pro Bowl. We know Trevor Simeon was asked a few years back and declined. Uh Jacoby Brissett is an alternate this year. I mean, what? it's excuse me. Yeah. What do they name twelve alternates? <laughs> like, does every team get an alternate? That's insane. I mean, so before you, you, you being our listener or any Titans fan, before you start talking about, well, so and so is a Pro Bowl snob. Hey, I get it. Like, I, I, I believe that Logan Ryan should have been honored with the Pro Bowl. I believe that Kevin Byers should have been honored with the Pro Bowl. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit around and, and, you know, get mad about it or, you know, write about why this player got a Pro Bowl snub. Because, like, is this something that you're really super concerned about being a part of the Pro Bowl? I don't I, I, I can't believe – I can't believe the Pro Bowl still exists first. I can't believe people watch the Pro Bowl. Or actually get, like, outraged about it. I used to watch the Pro Bowl when it was fun to watch, and now it's just, like, boring. That was, like, ten years ago. I kind of liked liked the years where they did, like, the fantasy draft with, you know, Deion Sanders and, and, like, Jerry Rice and Barry Barry Sanders and all Mm -hmm. those guys. That was fun, I thought. I think, like, the only reason I don't like the Titans being in mass at the Pro Bowl is because they say that's where so many free agent deals get done Mm -hmm. is – so and so, like Taylor Wan was real co- close with so and so all week, and you know, not that exact thing, but it'll be like these people were inseparable, and they did that, and then 
when they're a free agent, they come and they end up back in that place. It's like uh, Lawan's best friend, and this is not a great look for him, is Richie Incognito. Like <laughs> they, I, I mean, his, like, best his best friend, friend is, is obviously Will Compton. Will Compton. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's obviously Will Compton. But like, if you if you ask him about Incognito or whatever, like I think he went to like on vacation with him and Quentin Nelson like this past off season, and like I mean, the, he spends a lot of that time with Richie Incognito. Group. Yeah, and like they they met at the Pro Bowl, like the, and they became fast friends. It happens in the NBA all the time. So the only reason you should want Titans to get to the Pro Bowl, aside from bragging rights and all that, is because you want them to influence potential free agents. Other than that, the game sucks. It's super boring, and you know I don't I don't know if this offends you, but fans should not have permission to vote. It should oh, be all coaches like. Yeah, it should be all coaches and a very select few beat writers. Like, I don't even think beat writers. Here's the problem with that, though. Like, I, you know, I, I, I'm at Titans practice and I go to all the home games, okay? That doesn't mean that I know how, you know, what kind of a season Quentin Nelson has had at left guard or, or how Marcus no. Peters has played for the Ravens. That's true. Like, okay, let me say it like this. I think if you have a Hall of Fame vote, you should be able to vote for pro bowlers who are not on your team. Like, you can't vote for players yeah, on your team. Yeah, And there's there's no set number. There's no, like, you only get five or you only get ten or you have to do three at this position. It's like – And it, it's one if thing you if, saw, it's a, if it's a writer's honor. Like, like Pro Football Writers Association, uh, we do a, a, a all-rookie team. That's a writer's honor. That's not the league, like, uh, you know, putting their stamp on this and saying this is a league honor. No, it's just a bunch of people vote, and then this is the result of the vote. But yeah, Pro like, Bowl, like, gosh. I think, in my opinion, I think the only people that should vote for the Pro Bowl are the players and the coaches. Correct. I think they're the ones that know the most. Well, the only reason I would like rally against that is because the players vote on the NFL Top 100, and yeah, it's that's bad. the that's it's the bad. worst damn list I've ever seen. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. You've got like kickers at number 78, and then you've got like Patrick Mahomes at number 80. Like, not really, but it's like you'll get kickers ahead of like Pro Bowl quarterbacks. Like, I guess I should say Pro Bowl after we've said all this, but like all pro quarterbacks and all that. Like. It just doesn't make any sense. So you could poorly. do you could do players, coaches, and and writers. I think that's that's fair. Yeah, like I think like no the, offense uh, to the fans, but you you guys you're you're biased and you probably don't know anything. Sorry. Yeah, like the Pro Bowl is just like the concept behind the Pro Bowl is we're going to gather the most popular group of players, not the best group, and we're going to put them on TV so that we can sell commercials and make money on an extra game during the season and sell million like tens of millions of dollars in revenue or in uh, ad spaces and then make money off of it. It's not, it's not some big show and, and like it, this is disillusioning. I know, but it's not some big showcase where you can show off the best and the brightest and who the true, like outstanding players are. It's because if you know, that was it, Logan Ryan would be there. Yeah. Like he would. And like Pope Brinkley wouldn't be the backup long snapper. Not that that would be like a hard fought contest or anything, but like, <laughs> it, it's just like, the like it's not the best play. There's a reason why Jarrell Casey has only started to get in at the last few years, even though he had an outstanding, you know, three years before he ever made the Pro Bowl. Like it's because yeah. he got on the team with Brian Arakpo, and you know, once Brian Arakpo was getting attention, people realized that you know Derek Morgan was not bad, and that Jarrell Casey was really good, and then they rose from there. But 
it, it's all just a popularity contest. All right, let's close the show as we always do with our Stop the Nonsense segment where we point out the biggest nonsense moments of the week from the sports world. If you have a recommendation throughout the week, please send them to us on Twitter or Facebook. Use the hashtag Stop the Nonsense. Had someone reach out to us this week and say that based on how Titans fans have reacted over the last few days, we should have no shortage of options. And I think they were... uh, they're probably right in saying that. Let me real quick find the name of the person that said that so that I can give them a shout-out. Uh, Easy Reyes. Easy Reyes. Thank you for uh, for sending us that. Okay, who wants to start? Uh, I can do it. Okay. Um, so, because mine is not necessarily Titans-related, so if you've got a little bit of a Titan fatigue right now, I'll, I'll kind of break this up. So, uh, if you don't know, Chase Young is the defensive phenom who had Heisman votes. He, I think he had the second highest uh, number of first place votes in the Heisman race behind Joe Burrow. So everybody's kind of talking about him. He's, I think he has 16 and a half sacks and he played something like 10 games or 11 games throughout the season. Something close to that. He's outstanding. He's like Genevieve Clowney, but better like that kind of body type. And there's kind of a debate right now on, you know, should he be the number one prospect on draft boards? And, you know, how how good is he? Is he, like, the best player since Vaughn Miller? Is he the best this? And Todd McShay had his mock draft today, and, uh, you know, it, it, that's fun and all that. But he was asked about it on first take, and when he was asked about Chase Young, he said uh, on the comparison between him and the Bosa brothers, who Joey and Nick, who were both top uh, – I think top three, yeah – Joey was the third overall, and Nick was the second overall, and both are extremely productive pass rushers in the NFL from the first second they got on the field. So those are the gold standard of young edge rushers. And he was asked to compare them, and he said, quote, he's better, dot, dot, dot. I would take him number one overall even if I needed a quarterback. All right. There is this terrible misconception that you have to defend defensive players when you're ranking them, and you have to say they're better than a quarterback. They're not. He he will have less of an impact than the top three quarterbacks from this class. Not necessarily the first three drafted, but the best three from this group. Because at the end of the day, having a good edge defender is very important, and it's great and all that does not move the needle in terms of wins and losses. The classic example uh, is J.J. Watt on a two-win Texans team, you know, at the peak of his powers. Like, this is 20-sack J.J. Watt. Like, this is defensive player of the year J.J. Watt. So, if you have the choice between the number one pass rusher and the number one quarterback, even if the talent isn't close – there's no question who you should take. Even if you're wrong, the decision is to take the quarterback. And everybody who says otherwise, when they say, well, I would take this, they're a liar or they're a fool. There is no middle ground. You are either wrong or ignorant. Like, it just, it just it doesn't exist. So that's my stop the nonsense for this week is stop talking about edge rushers like they're more important than quarterbacks. They're not. Agreed, and uh, I'll go next because mine is also not about the Titans. I, too, have Titans fatigue and don't want to even talk about them. Uh, so Dan Orlovsky, uh, friend of the pod, just kidding, 
Enemy of the pod. Who was my uh, part of my stop the, the nonsense last week? Yeah, yeah. We were just randomly talking about him while I was looking for uh for a candidate for stop the nonsense. And I just scrolled through his Twitter account for like maybe fifteen seconds and, and I found a couple a couple a couple tweets I could use, but this one really stood out to me. So on December fifteenth, there uh I guess it Sunday night football. I don't know. Um uh, it, it was during the Cowboys-Rams game. Uh, he tweets, not just saying to say it, the player that has become just as important to the Dallas Cowboys offense as Zeke, Dak, and Amari, Blake Jarwin. Dear. Not Michael Gallup, Blake Jarwin. Rams had no answer for him or how to defend and with who. Had ripple effects all over the offense for Dallas. You guys want to guess Blake Jarwin's stats in that game? No, tell us. Two catches for 40 yards. <laughs> that sounds I like... Mean, that's even better. I mean, that's even better than, like, Michael Pruitt breakout stats. No, no. It's 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 pretty much, like, Hall of Fame level <laughs> production. Blake Jarwin, the X Factor. I mean, I like Blake Jarwin. I think he's good. I th- I've seen him make a lot of cool plays. But to say that he's as important to the offense as... Zeke, Dak, and Amari Cooper when he catches two passes in the game? like that, That's just a hot take, just, just to get a hot take out there. That What an insane thing to say. Like, it's random. To it's, like, it's like he'd written out the first, like, the 90% of that tweet, and he was just ra- waiting to, like, find a name, and he was like, the next person that catches a pass, right. tweet right. this. And it was like, Mark Blake Jarwin, here we go. It could have been Tavon Austin. We wouldn't even we wouldn't even bat an eye. <laughs> okay, so here's my stop the nonsense. Uh, Chase McCabe he works for 1025 The Game in Nashville. This isn't the the nonsense part. He this is just background. He tweets out a picture of Marcus Mariota walking out of the tunnel on Sunday, and he says Marcus Mariota's ready. Dot 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 to put on his hand warmer. Ha! Ah, funny joke. He's the backup. Well, good lord, the Stan boys came out of the woodworks for this one. I mean, just all over poor Chase. Have you ever started in an NFL game or been a backup for that matter? Respect is not making fun of the guy who put his body on the line for four and a half years. Don't you have something else to do? Oh, wait, you work for 1025. Never mind. <laughs> wow, that's unnecessary. Bad take. Great value, Seth Rogen. Uh, wow, wow. Kick, any, pup- kick any puppies lately? <laughs> Bad job by you. Not cool. Not cool at all. Hal Gill, who used to play for the Predators and now is one of their radio people, said, you're an idiot. Take that down. <laughs> what is happening? Like, I feel like we need that, uh, the, 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 the video of Taylor Twelman sitting at the ESPN desk going, what are we doing after that Trinidad loss in the World Cup qualifiers a couple years back? Like, you people, the Mariota standboys, and I know I'm not offending anybody by saying this because I know by now we've scared off the Mariota standboys from listening yeah, to this they, show. They're not here. <laughs> what are we doing, guys? What are you all doing? Like, why is it that you feel like 
you have been like handed a task from either the Lord or some kind of king to protect Mariota against all. This was hardly even an insult. This was more along the lines of like a jab. And you were acting. I mean, I mean, the, the, the Joe Dubin cooked turkey thing was far worse than this. But this got about the same reaction. And so my stop the nonsense is the fact that so I never tweet anything political. We, we, we talked about this. I have political views. You, I don't want to share them with you, and I have no interest in hearing yours. Okay? But it has gotten to where I put Mariota tweets and content in the same category as politics in that I just refuse to one way or the other tweet them. Because I know if I tweet something bad about Mariota, I'm going to get that. And I know if I tweet something good about Mariota, these crazy people are still going to come out and be like, oh, yeah, I know you're on his side. Yeah. <laughs> I just I can't do it anymore, guys. Like, I, 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 like um, Gentry Estes, who's the sports columnist at the Tennessean, wrote a pretty good story a week or so ago about Tannehill and Mariota's relationship and how sort of Mariota has handled the benching gracefully. Really good story. I would go read it. Um. I would have never written anything like that. And I have all the respect in the world for Gentry for having the courage to write that because I couldn't have dealt with the insane people who would have, that's my boy, that's my QB, like the the, the, the Terrell Owens gifts. I just, I can't anymore with you people on Mariota. You have, you people, what you've actually done is made Mariota, for me anyway, and probably others in the media too, a taboo topic. Like when I sit here and do this podcast for over a month now, whenever I talk about Tannehill, I have to intentionally make an effort to not compare him to Mariota because I don't want to deal with you people, the stand boys. So stop. Get over it. It's done. It's over. Move on. Thank you. <laughs> well, if you're wondering, uh, us Mariota apologists and stand boys, we do have a god. It's a Hawaiian <laughs> god from the movie Moana that we pray to. And we follow we follow out his mission. So uh, sorry, dude. <laughs> sorry, that's on you, brother. <laughs> I, I, it is, it's just ridiculous. Like, it. Okay, I I don't like the jokes or anything, but who cares? Like, but you're I mean, also not like going like you know Chase McCabe, you low down dirty right, dog. Like, right, that's what I'm saying. I'm like at this point, like, if you're a Mariota fan, and like I'm 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 very open with the fact that I like Mariota. I think he. It still has a chance to be a good quarterback in the NFL like Alex Smith or who so many other quarterbacks like Tannehill even who've gone to different teams and been in better fits and then just kind of been able to resurrect their career. But it, we all know whether you were the most devout Mariota fan or not that Tannehill is the superior quarterback at the very least right now on this team. Like there is no question. There's no conspiracy on why like Mariota's worse or, or whatever that that's not doesn't exist. It's just easy. It's not apples to oranges. It's just apples to apples. Like that is what it is. But at that point, what do you care? What anybody who's covering the team or who like says anything about Mariota? Why would you care? Like Mariota's got millions and millions of dollars, and 
as we can all see, he's got plenty of people loyal to him. If he wanted people shut up, he would just make a call and send some money. Like, I mean, he's got people in these streets. Like, if he wanted, if he was real concerned about this, he could get people to shut up. It's, it's not that he's fine. You're not protecting his honor. He's okay. And our our friends at the F Words Pod made a great point on their episode last week. I think it was Zach Lyons that said this. He said, if Mariota cared what people said about him, he'd have a Twitter account. He'd be like Roger Saffold and and complaining and saying, all I ever get is hate and and, and you people are are, are rude to me. Which is well within Saffold's right, whether you agree with it or not. But if Mariota cared, he'd be on Twitter. But you know what? He doesn't care. He doesn't care that Chase McCabe, uh, you know, says, you know, getting his hand warmer. He doesn't care that Joe Dubin says, this turkey's done like Mariota. He doesn't care. And you shouldn't either. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Um, This was a fun episode. I think, anyway. especially It was very very cathartic. (laughs) Yeah, felt good. Much needed. We'll be back next week. Matthias will not. Matthias, uh, you are heading out of the country, right? Yes, I'm going to Europe and taking yet another break from the Titans. Can't wait. Although I'm sure I'll find a way to watch the game. Matthias is actually going to Europe as an ambassador on a uh, government-assigned mission. Correct. Just to spread the gospel <laughs> about Mariota? Yes. <laughs> like, I, was, I was sure that's where that was going. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so we will get an update from Matthias Wynn in January. Is that how long this is going to be? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm gone for like three weeks. I'll see you guys during draft season. <laughs> maybe, the Titans, maybe the Titans will still be alive by that point. We were going to talk we, about – I mean, we, we might were, make the playoffs, man. The, we were going to talk about playoffs. We were going to do a scenario on playoff – or a, 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 a section on playoff scenarios, but it's really just simple. If the Texans win this week, the AFC South is over. If the Texans lose right. this week, uh, week 17, Titans-Texans will be for the AFC South. When it comes to the wild card, the Titans probably need to win out and have the Steelers lose another game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Those are the scenarios. So – Matthias, enjoy your trip. We might try to get some uh, some guest co-hosts to come in and take the seat. Um, we might not. I don't know. It's always fun when me and Will do it because I feel like it's it's a tamed version of us in a way. Yeah. Right. There's no there's no uh, intermediary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you uh, have to keep it simple. Yeah. That's right. We can't uh, we can't both not talk. Yeah. <laughs> So until then, uh, for Matthias and Will, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone in the sports world to stop the nonsense.